The Glue, the podcast about business development, marketing and communications in professional services. So welcome to The Glue. I'm James Stringer, a former BD director and now trainer, consultant and coach on business development, bids and offsites. This podcast is called The Glue because the BD marketing and communications teams in professional services are the glue that holds the whole thing together. In this episode, we'll be exploring how we can make our thought leadership efforts even more effective. We'll be considering questions including, what are the most important ingredients to get right if you're considering a thought leadership campaign? What are the best sources of insight? And what tips do my guests have on how to obtain that in a cost-effective way? Are there any industries, either within or outside of professional services, where we should look for inspiration? To help me discuss these topics, I'm joined by Ben Kent and Suzanne Snowden. Ben is the founder of research consultancy Meridian West. Ben specialises in working with professional firms to develop thought leadership campaigns. He's been involved in over 100 campaigns in the last 20 years, and clients include EY, A&O, Grant Thornton, BDO, JLL, and Adelshaw Goddard. Welcome to The Glue, Ben. Thank you, James. Suzanne Snowden is a marketing and thought leadership consultant with experience in a variety of global client project and leadership roles in professional services. She's founder and director of Message Consulting Limited and helps clients in professional services with their thought leadership strategies and execution. Welcome to The Glue, Suzanne. Thanks, James. Great to be here. Okay, so let's make a start. So what exactly is thought leadership in professional service firm marketing, Ben? Well, you know, as you know, professional firms create an awful lot of content. I think only a fraction of it is uh, for thought leadership. A lot of it is a technical update, so don't include that as thought leadership. I think thought leadership has a kind of research component in it, but I think that could be all sorts of research. It could be classic surveys. It could be in-depth interviews. And increasingly, we get involved in kind of economic analysis. So it's, it's research-based, but it also has a kind of opinion there on top of it. And Suzanne, that sounds like quite a lot of input that is required to actually deliver that. Can we be clear as to what is the goal of thought leadership activity? Absolutely. I think I agree with Ben. There's so many different forms that could come in. But essentially, its goal is really to help to create new and richer client conversations. And how does it help with that, do you think? I think it just gives your sales enablement teams ideas, thoughts, texture, colour to the conversations they're having every day with their clients. It gives them confidence as well. I think I think that's right, actually. So when we speak to clients, you know, yes, they want the technical experts, but what they really value is, you know, what are your other clients doing? You know, what's over the horizon? It's almost like the early warning system uh, for clients. And what are the most important ingredients to get right if you're considering a thought leadership campaign, Ben? Well, I think for many of our clients, it's uh, a lot of the partners have lots of ideas for thought leadership and it's, it, I think it's really been so clear on, on managing and why are we doing this, Again, almost going back to basics. So we often run these kind of what we call ideas labs, the kind of workshops and saying, okay, you know, does this meet, you know, three criteria? First of all, is it going to be genuinely useful to our target audience? Will they take it back and use it at work? Do we, as a firm, actually have a kind of valid point of view on this? And I think the third is, uh, to be honest, does it have a kind of commercial outcome? Does it help promote a, a practice? And Suzanne, which of those do you think are is the most important when you're advising your clients? Yeah, I think the connection to the business. 
has to be, I think you've got to start with your strategy. What's your strategic intent overall? How can your thought leadership then support that and make you famous for the things you want to be famous for? I think that's why I think it's particularly helpful if you've got that kind of clear commercial objective. You know, are you trying to promote a new service offering, you know, a legal tech offering, for example? Then you can route it right back and you can show the return on investment on it. And I think not being shy of connecting the research findings with how your firm can help. A lot of firms are too shy about that. Uh, I'd like to add another critical kind of cocktail ingredient, and that's quality research. I do think that often, you know, we think you can just wizard up a piece of thought leadership without any evidence to support your point of view. And I do think it's important to have a thought about how are you going to support that with all sorts of, you know, qualitative, quantitative desk type research. And the best thought leadership needs new insight. Um, what's the best sources of that insight? You know, because you said there, Suzanne, it's important. That's a critical component. And do you have any tips on how to do that in the most cost-effective way? Yeah, I think talk to your people. Talk to your talk to your partners and senior managers and directors. They're an incredibly important source of insight for what's going on in the in their marketplace. And that's obviously. That's your audience. Ultimately, that's who you need to to connect with. I think talk to your clients, pull some clients, get them in the door, get them around the table, have a discussion, get a writer in the room. I think that we we think that thought leadership might be sort of sitting in a dark room and coming up with these things yourself in marketing. From my experience, that's not the case. I think you need to be super connected to your business, to all different parts of the firm, get them around the table and brainstorm things together. Ben? Yeah, and I think avoiding the echo chamber. So, you know, how can you bring a different perspective? So some of the most interesting campaigns we've done is where you interview two audiences on the same topic. So we did one for an environmental consultancy and we interviewed sustainability consultants, but also their finance directors. Uh, We did a project for a law firm looking at GCs, but also the CEOs. So, you know, if you just interview GCs about what GCs think, chances are it's not they're going to know it, you know. And these things are often time-consuming to create. Suzanne, can you give me some examples of where this has worked to influence clients or support a brand? Because you said, you know, this is an important commercial objective. Can you give me some examples from your your experience as to where that's really worked? Yeah, I recall one example. Well, several, but one that stands out for me around, uh, it was automotive and transport and automotive sector partners, getting them around the table and really helping them think about the future of their sector. What was that going to look like in five years' time, ten years' time? And it really kind of helped them to, in fact, at the time, European automotive was very diesel-focused and we were trying to highlight this idea that in ten years' time, you know, you haven't even thought about the pollution impacts. People might not want to own cars. They might want to borrow cars. They might be funded by advertising through the windscreen, you know, getting your eyeballs and using that to pay for your for your journey. So by getting some good facilitators in, really helping them to get to open up their imaginations, getting a writer in the room. But they took that, they took that immediately to clients and got clients involved. And I felt that they really did a great job of of making clients feel part of the process of thinking about the future of their sector. And it really built I think it really built built some cachet for the brand. And Ben, do you have any examples of where it's really it's really been effective as really influenced clients' conversations? 
Yeah, I think, you know, there's two types of thought leadership. One is the profile building. And, you know, we did a lot of work with KPMG back in the day. And you get the right topic and it just hits the national press across multiple jurisdictions. Great for profile raising. What we're seeing now in more sort of cost of living days is much more focused on kind of business development opportunities. So we did work with the Magic Circle Law Firm. I was looking at innovation within legal departments and, you know, interviewed 100 um, in-house lawyers. And they got, I think, 90 plus um, one-on-one meetings with clients talking about innovation, really rich conversations. So I think that that's a, that's a real tangible outcome. And those conversations would have been based around the research or the outputs of the research and the perspectives. It, it, yeah, it's not just about the research, but it's a great sort of catalyst. It's kind of enabled them to sort of benchmark them against their peers. And then you, had, you put the subject matter in, expert in the room to then talk about the implications and how that firm could then help. All firms are producing client-facing content, even thought leadership activities. How can we make ours really stand out? There's two ways. One is how you communicate it, but also, you know, the topics you go for. I think, you know, we find, you know, clients get a lot of inquiries and it's either about digital transformation or ESG. It's just those topics are so overdone. And I think it's finding what's going to be practically useful to people. So my recommendation is don't just understand the CEO's views, but understand the people in the middle of the organization with responsibility for driving this through. You know, I think that's where the real pain points are with organizations. So practical insights. Suzanne, anything to add? In terms of helping it stand out on a, like, obviously, obviously the topics are critical, but I think um, thinking about your audience, making sure that you're getting your content to where they, they are, where they're looking, where they're, um, what they're attending even. Um, the content itself, making sure it's in bite-sized chunks, it's uh, engaging, it's accessible, it's social media ready, it's digital ready, and it's in, the, it's in a form also that your team can take out in the way that they want to communicate. So I think I would add those two as well. The other thing is... Not just doing, you know, doing a persevere, own a topic. Those kind of, you know, PwC are fantastic that with a CEO study, but we've seen a number that you kind of, you own that topic and you really milk the research for 12 months or several years. Or longer. Or longer, or longer, yeah. Not just, oh, here's another project, here's another project, here's another project. It's just too much noise. I totally agree on that scattergun approach. The challenge around owning that topic. And I think it's longer than 18 months. I think having a a framework that starts, you know, maybe a five-year framework where you've got a set of mega trends that are going to drive change in your your client sectors and then defining those and then picking the the elements in that that you want to be famous for and then driving those repeatedly, not just in a first year with a big splash, but then picking aspects of it or where they intersect with technology or with people issues and then continuing to repeat those messages through maybe five-year program. Exactly. And, you know, Peter, obviously a good example of that. That's a new equation kind of brand framework and the content's all aligned with that. And you can see it. You can see it shifting perceptions of PwC away from audit and towards technology transformation. And that was the intention. The automotive program was part of a megatrends thing that was around digital transformation. But it, it all came out of the framework, which I failed to mention at the beginning. But that's super important. So it sounds like of those ingredients, perhaps strategy is the most important of them. Do you agree? 
Absolutely. I think clear objectives that for your thought leadership strategy that align to your firm strategy. So as as the board decide to make changes about what they want to be known for and how they want to operate, you've got to be right there lockstep with them and be reviewing what you're doing in your thought leadership strategy and in comms and in brand uh, and be working collaboratively to support them to make that happen. I think that's right. And all the upfront planning is, is absolutely critical, you know, stakeholder engagement and also being clear what's the story you're hoping to tell. So before you do any research, almost write the headlines of the report, which sounds very naughty, but actually is really helpful because it gives you clarity about where the research is heading. Now, you, what's interesting is great if the hypothesis is proven, even better if it's disproven, because then you've got something really interesting. But it's, uh, yeah, I think uh, that planning about the messaging and also how you're going to take it to market. I think there's too much focus on doing the research and too little on how to engage and getting the long tail and getting your people out there. And maybe it might be helpful to just give some examples of the kinds of hypotheses that you might create before actually starting the research. Can you give us some examples? I mean, around whether being proactive about emerging technology those who are early adopters are more successful. It's interesting. You would assume that they probably would be, but there might be some businesses that get in too early. It's a hypothesis we're, t- we're playing with in a, probably in a business services environment more. But yeah, I think it's an interesting one. So are there any industries either within or outside of professional services where we should be looking for our inspiration as to how to progress and be more effective, Suzanne? I think the law firms and the big four uh, accounting firms have traditionally they've encouraged, they put thought leadership in marketing and comms box and said, hey, this is something you've got to do in addition to marketing and comms. And if I look at who are, who's really good at this in, in the um, big consultancies, the BCGs and Baines, they have a separate insight team that focuses just on developing thought leadership not doing comms around it. And that, and they invest, they have a massive investment in that, a body of work that stretches back 20 years, time and space to think about what's going on in the world, how that affects their clients. And I think I see that really in the content is very differentiated when you look between the, the, uh, cons- the big consultancies and, and the rest. Yeah, I, I think also the the big investment banks, corporate banks, there's a completely different model. So I think they do it almost client by client. So I got you know I got a meeting with you know I, I don't know Tesco's, and they do an annual. It's kind of what useful insights can we take to Tesco? So they have teams of analysts they can draw on to do that. But that's quite effective. It's kind of one on one one on one thought leadership. So what can we learn? What can we take from that? I had a thought about this around this tendency around it's a combination of risk management and perfectionism, which I think the law, I know the law firms feel very constrained by. And I think there needs to be a bit more, no, I'm not going to say freedom, but there needs to be a bit more confidence in your ideas and taking them to big forum, getting them out there quickly, testing them like if if you know the if you're a law firm that happens to attend Reuters next or 
Davos or one of these big events, test it, get your ideas out there. Don't be frightened. Don't be, don't be stifled by that desire to make sure it's absolutely perfect and everybody signed off and everyone's behind you. Because if you do, you're going to be two years too late because McKinsey will already got it out there. So that would be my lesson. Yeah, and I think that we did some pulse surveys, you know, working together, taking very short surveys on very hot topics. And that were a dream because it was just a bit unusual. And I think professional firms aren't too risk averse and getting more risk averse. You know, so we're working with a law firm and they, they actually sh- didn't want to do a piece around fraud in financial service because they feared that it would offend someone. It was a fantastic idea, but it just got killed. So more bravery. More bravery. Quicker to market. Yeah, a little more investment. And what would that investment look like, do you think, to upskill and improve? I think it's a combination of resources and time. So give people the time. Give your team the space to think. So they're going to need some more people, I think. And remove some of the drudgery, the administrative kind of activities from a team that are just doing research and insight. Yeah, I think also really thinking about the kind of one-on-one conversations and um the technology can really help with that. So, you know, we've been developing these technology dashboards, for example, where you can do a survey, it takes them 10 minutes, 20 minutes, but then you give for that particular client um, a tool which enables them to show themselves against their chosen peer group. Incredibly valuable to clients, incredibly valuable. Um, and it's kind of useful for them. So I think once you've done the survey, yes, do your report, but also create these benchmarking tools and you create maturity curves as well. You know, this is how mature you are compared to your peer group, identifying areas where you can improve your score. Those sort of techniques can work really well. So what's the future of thought leadership, Ben? It's always about AI, isn't it? I think it's, it's, it's good and it's bad. I think the, the bad thing about it is it means it's so easy to create content. Well, I think that does it. I think it will force professional firms to be really creative. So you could take a topic, say, okay, what can you know, what can AI write on that topic? Okay, that's what we need to beat. Um, so I think it will force the humans to try a bit harder. The second area is kind of we've been piloting this AI that can I think is really exciting. So it can take interview transcripts, all sorts of data, and then personalize it for the person you're speaking to, and you can actually ask it questions. So we're doing this on a project we're doing at the moment. We're doing a client feedback benchmarking exercise. We're taking all the insights from best practice and that. And now you can type into the tool, like with ChatGPT, how do you get partner buy-in? And it gives you an answer. So that's like, I don't know whether it's thought leadership, but it's certainly really very valuable to people. So it's about digging into the data more thoroughly with more purpose to be able to identify insights. Exactly. So I think what will happen is, you know, rather than doing yet another report, let's do another report, let's do another report, actually build up a body of knowledge. And, you know, for the big firms, that's a lot of knowledge. And then being smart about how do you get insights out of that using AI, I think it would be super exciting. Suzanne? I totally agree. I think AI has got so much potential for this, for the area of thought leadership. And I think also combined with more of face-to-face, oddly enough. I was thinking while you were speaking, you know, so many people are, I hate to hark back to kind of the coffeehouse society, 17th century chats where intellectuals and scientists and people come together to have, you know, talk, talk about anything that's affecting society. So a salon kind of style. Yeah. Discussion between 
all different parties, regulators, clients. And, you know, if you could be a convener of that as a firm, which any firm actually is, is within their rights to be a convener of that kind of discussion, I think that could be very powerful. So it's sort of a combination of more intense, longer form discussions with people face to face at the same time, a deployment of AI, which seems odd, but I think AI enables you to have time to do the second. So the last thing I want to do on this episode is to thank my guests, Ben Kent and Suzanne Snowden. Thanks, Ben. Thank you very much, James. Enjoyed that. And thanks, Suzanne. Thanks, James. We have exciting plans for future episodes, so please look out for updates from me on LinkedIn. And you can find other episodes of The Glue on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And please follow me or subscribe so you don't miss any. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye.